morning and welcome. I invite you to grab a seat. And uh, our children, fifth grade and under, you can be dismissed to go to your classrooms if you have not yet left, if you want to. We've got our children's classes back there ready for you today. Uh, hopefully you take advantage of that. Hey, I'm excited as we jump into week number two of our series, Live the Life, a series in which we are focusing in on what it means for us to look at our life and how we need to grow and take that next step in our faith, in our life, uh, in our relationship with the Lord. And, and so that's what we're striving to look at uh, today and in this series and even in this season of the life of the church. You see, uh, I would propose that as uh, individuals and as a community of believers, sometimes it's easy to get comfortable with where we are in our walk with the Lord, in our, in our faith, and we just kind of stay there, and we are challenged to grow, and not challenged to change, and not challenged to do things in a different way, and so that's what we want to do. We want to be challenged to look at how God is guiding us and leading us, and to live our lives uh, in a different way, and the interesting thing is that's going to look different for each and every one of us, because we are at different points in our maturity and in our faith with the Lord. Lord. So it's going to, going to be different. And because of that, I'm not going to be able to give you any prescriptive thing that you must do A, B, C in order to accomplish what you seek to accomplish, right? But hopefully through the principles that we look at and the principles that we apply, we will be able uh, to grow and do this together. Uh, this is something that the leadership team, the staff, we've been looking at and praying through and, and asking God to guide us in as we look toward this season in the life of the church. And so we're focusing in on growth. The growth that we uh, need to have as individuals and as a community of believers. It's the opportunity to discover and experience a life-changing love of Christ, not just to, to say that, but so that lives can be transformed uh, for the kingdom. So I invite you to grab your Bible, if you would, and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10, uh, verses, th we're going to look at verse 31. If you're reaching for a blue Bible, which should be in the seat in front of you, it'll be on or around page 812. Uh, if you were here last week, you might recall that we began by looking at this, uh, living this life by looking at a life of purpose. We looked at how we have a general purpose in our life, to live life in preparing for eternity. We also looked at the specific purpose, which manifests itself in the way we utilize our time and our talents and our treasure, how as we live our life, we do the things we do with a kingdom mindset, seeing how God desires to work through not only uh, the scriptures to influence our life, which reveal God to us, but also through each other as we reveal God's love uh, to each other. And that means we have the opportunity to help people and to help them discover and experience that life-changing love of Christ and that acceptance which comes from Christ and from him alone. And today, we want to uh, focus in on what it means to live the life when it comes to taking advantage of the opportunities that we face each and every day. And to set the stage for this, I want to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he says these words, so whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now, how many of you have heard that text or a variation of that text before? It's okay. Yeah, good. Good. Now, 
I know when I have heard this spoken on, and, and maybe even when I've spoken on this text before, it's often used in the context of whatever you do in your life, do it all for the glory of God. And it's, it's as if to say that if you're a teacher, then you should teach in such a way that brings glory to God. If you're a student, you are to learn in such a way that brings glory to God. If you're a, a banker or a train operator, if you work for the state, or if you're in research, if you drive an Uber, if you're a doctor, if you sell glass, if you move furniture, if you practice law, if you work from home, if you're a stay-at-home parent with your children, if you're a counselor, when you run and when you bike and when you play sports and when you listen to music and when you hang out for friends with friends, you are to do it all for the glory of God, right? Now, is that wrong to say? No, not inherently wrong, but it may not be exactly what this text is talking about. You see, we, we often say that, that often everything we do, we should be doing all for the glory of God. And that is supported by the overall theme of scriptures, and it's supported uh, by the example of Jesus. But it's important to know maybe what Paul was really talking about here in 1 Corinthians. And as I thought about this scripture and how sometimes it can be used in, in a way that maybe isn't the way Paul meant it or the, the scripture writers intended, uh, it got me thinking about a lot of other scriptures and even Christian sayings that people use, uh, like using Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Everybody know that one, right? You've all heard that. If you've ever graduated from anything, you probably got that in one of your graduation cards, right? That's used a lot in those types of contexts. There's, there's another scripture that's used a lot, Matthew 19, 26. With God, all things are possible, Right? Let's pull that one out, and let's apply that to different situations. Then there's, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength, from Philippians chapter 4. I I actually heard that verse shared to a a group of students right before they were running a cross-country meet last week, and I thought, oh, that's interesting, especially since that's what I'm going to be talking about. Or, Or when someone is struggling to make a decision, and they're not sure what to do, they're lovingly told that they should be praying without ceasing, Right? We use these things, and we tell people these things. There's these Christianese sayings. I don't know what they're really called, but that's what I call them, Christianese, right? And there's such things as keep calm and pray on, right? We, we say stuff like that. And then there's my favorite, no Jesus, no peace, can know Jesus, can know, anyway, right? You have to you know, read between the lines literally on that one. Why do we say such things, Right? These are things that are shared in a variety of circumstances and situations for a lot of different reasons. And I want you to hear me on this. It's not that sharing these things or any of those scriptures or anything like that is inherently wrong because they can offer encouragement, they can offer hope, they can offer comfort. But there are times that I just want to say when I hear something like this or I read something like this, I do not think it means what you think it means. Or at least it doesn't mean it in the way you're inferring that it means. One such scripture that I want to touch on for just a moment is Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, where we read the words of Paul, and he writes these words, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, I want you to say that with me. Ready? To live is Christ, to die is gain. All right, let's do it again. Ready? To live is Christ, One more time. So now we're going to take away the words, leave just the reference, and what does that text say? Congratulations, you've just memorized a part of a portion of Scripture, right? It didn't hurt, right? You did it? As a side note, one of the things that as we think about taking the step and growing in our faith, reading the Scriptures and even memorizing the Scriptures is a helpful and beneficial thing to do, and you can do it, you just did it, right? You see my point? 
let's think about a variety of ways we can take that step. Okay, back, back to the text. That's kind of a side note. Now, uh, Philippians 1.21 is one of those scriptures that I've heard used in a variety of different contexts. It's on coffee mugs, right? Have you seen that? It's on t-shirts. You can buy posters and put them up all over your house. And if you need to do some light reading, there are several books with the same title, right? To live is Christ, to die is gain. The best way to live my life is what people are saying. Often it's, it's used to say, in my life, with all that I have in my life, to live my life in relationship with God is Christ. It is the best way to live my life. It gives me hope. It gives me joy. It gives me peace. It gives me comfort. In my life of Christ, I experience grace and mercy and love, his promises and his blessings and his presence. To live in that way is indeed Christ. And yet, because I am finite and God is infinite, I know there's something more. There's something greater. There's something to come. We talk about this being heaven. We talk about it being a time with God, right? As the great lyricist Prince said in his song, Let's Go Crazy, there's something else. The afterworld, right? We have this concept of that there is something more, and the way we get to that something more is we die, right? So we have to die in order to get to that thing, right? And to die As great as all of life is, with all of its conveniences, like indoor plumbing and heated and air-conditioned vehicles and a dry place to live and bug repellent and Netflix and same-day delivery on certain items through Amazon Prime, Uh, cell phones and the internet and public education and and freedoms and relationships and so much more, this idea is that as great as life is while I'm alive, to die, to go to heaven, and to experience all that's waiting there for us, to finally see Jesus face-to-face, that is gain, that is better by far. In fact, that's what Paul says in verse 23 of 1 Philippians. He says, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And yet there's this amazing thing that happens as we think about our life. It seems the greater the living peace is, the greater we are here, the more comfortable and nice and easy our life seems to be, the less eager we are to give up our life and get to heaven. Now, don't misunderstand. We all want to go to heaven, right? I mean, if we have a choice, that's where we want to go. We, we would really like to do that. But What we would really like, even more than that, is we'd really like to make heaven a place on earth. Why? Well, because I believe that David Crowder is right when he said in one of his songs, everybody wants to get to heaven, but nobody wants to die, right? And so we try our best to have heaven here on earth. And with this verse from Philippians 1, verse 21, what we fail to realize is that Paul's situation, when he writes this, is far different than our situation here. We're quick to say that living this comfortable life that we live, where we live, and when we live, it's really for Christ, and and it is, and, and it's great. But for Paul to say it, for Paul to say to live is Christ, really gives it a whole new meaning, because Paul is writing from a prison cell, and most scholars agree that this prison cell was in Rome. And while in this Roman prison, he had no freedoms, he had no comforts, he had no Instagram, he wasn't able to play Fortnite, and while we are, he was hopeful that he would soon be released from prison, he also knew that he may not be released from prison. So when Paul is in prison, it's not good for him. 
One of the reasons it's not good because Nero was the emperor of Rome during this time. Paul was going to be called to stand before Nero and to give a defense for the charges and the accusations that were brought against him. Uh, Tacitus, who was a historian in the first century, he records that under the reign of Nero, Christians underwent a lot of brutal persecution. Besides just being simply put to death, the Christians were made to serve as objects of amusement. Uh, The history books tell us that they were clothed in the hides of beasts, and then they were released in the field or an open area where people could watch them be torn to death by dogs who had been starved. Other believers were crucified. Still others were used as human torches as they were set on fire to illuminate the night during some of the festive festivals and parties that Nero would throw. And this is what is going on in the time of Rome when Paul writes the words, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There's this emperor who is torturing and killing Christians for his amusement, and this is the guy that Paul is going to stand up against. And that's quite a bit different than what we're facing in this region of our country today, isn't it? These are the things that are important for us to understand when we read the Scripture. So when we read the text like 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31 that says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, it's important to look at the broader context. To do that, we really need to look at a bigger chunk of 1 Corinthians. We need to look at at least chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11 because those chapters all address the same issue. Paul is addressing that issue. And what's that issue? Well, in chapter 8, Paul is addressing those who have come out of idol worship and are now worshiping Jesus. So the issue is that some of them are eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And a lot of people believe that's a big no-no. You're not supposed to do that. Now, this is not something we deal with today, right? At least not in my world. Anybody deal with meat sacrificed to idols in your daily life? Okay, good. We're all on the same page there. But this was an issue that was being addressed in the church at the time. So this is something that that we need to understand. So if we're going to understand what Paul is saying when he says, do it all for the glory of God, it's important to understand. In Corinth, there were these believers who were eating meat sacrificed to idols, and the more mature believers, well, they saw nothing wrong with it, right? After all, they believed there's only one true God, And all these idols don't really even exist, which means when something is sacrificed to them, they were really sacrificed to nothing. So what's the problem, right? It's just meat. We should be eating it. And this is an idea that is supported by Paul. But that doesn't remove the problem or the situation uh, that they were facing. The issue is that the new believers in Corinth are seeing the established believers eat meat And it's causing confusion as to what it means to be a follower of Christ. And these new believers are struggling with what it means that they are to do. Okay, does that make sense? So the church is struggling and they're trying to figure out what they are to do. So Paul says to the believers in Corinth, he says, hey, I want you to be careful. I want you to be mindful. I want you to be intentional regarding what you eat and what you drink and do it all for the sake of the gospel message. He appeals to them to lay down their right, to lay down their right to to eat meat sacrificed to idols so that the message of Jesus could be shared with those who do not have a faith in Jesus and to encourage the new believers who've just come to faith in Christ without causing any confusion. That's what he's talking about in chapter eight, okay? So that's that's the whole chapter. You don't have to read it now. You've got it. Now, I encourage you to read it because it's much better than what I just told you. 
Then in chapter 9, Paul uses this example in his own life, okay? Uh, Paul says, I have laid down my rights for the sake of the gospel message. And Paul says this, I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. Paul says, hey, look at what I've done. I'm not telling you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. Paul has laid down his rights for the sake of others. Paul's focus is on spreading the gospel message of Jesus. Then in chapter 10, Paul reminds the people of the example of the Israelites, how from the time they left Egypt and then before they entered into the promised land, they disobeyed God and things didn't go so well for them. And in the context of that, of all of those things about uh, who you are to be and what Paul has done and the example of the Israelites, Paul says, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If in your freedom, you're eating meat that's been sacrificed to idols, if that's causing the message of Jesus to be confusing, if those who do not know Christ or those who are new to Christ, if it's causing confusion as to what it means to be a believer and a follower of Jesus, then depart from that, lay that down, don't do it. Do the things that you do having the mindset that it's not just about you and your rights, but it's about the message of Jesus, and it's about others. And while often we stop that verse, right, in verse 31, and we just don't read any farther, it's really important to look, again, at at a little bit broader context. The very minimum is verses 32 and 33, and they say this, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. We see very clearly what Paul's focus is in this text. His focus is on the message of Jesus. His focus is on salvation. So whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. If you go back to chapter 8 and you do read through that, you're going to see Paul saying something uh, along the lines of, of, if you cause your brother to stumble, it's not good. That's not a good thing. In fact, if you're causing your brother to, to, to stumble, you are in fact sinning against your brother and against Christ. Now, I want to do my best to be as clear as I can with, with something that, that maybe is hard for us to, to completely understand. But this idea of causing someone else to stumble is not reduced to the common idea that we have uh, that we need to be ultra careful not to offend someone. That's not what's at stake here. That's not what Paul is addressing. Paul has this entire context of the letter, but I I believe he especially has chapters 8, 9, 10, and 11 in mind. Because if you read chapter 11, you'll see that, that Paul is addressing this eating and drinking when it comes to the Lord's Supper. And he says, if you're going to eat and drink participate in the Lord's Supper, what we call communion, that's the kind of eating and drinking you are to be involved in and to be participating in, that which proclaims Jesus and promotes his name and not some sort of false idol. So when Paul says, be careful not to cause your brother or your sister to stumble, he's not saying, hey, other people may not like it if you eat meat sacrificed to idols, so don't do it. What he's saying is, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols if doing so is going to cause confusion when it comes to the message of Jesus. Salvation is in view. The the relationship that people can have with Jesus is the focus, and that's why he says these things, because that's far more important than anything else. This is not someone's sensitive topic where they might be offended, so you're afraid to say or do anything. There's something far more significant going on. 
Now, that doesn't mean we go out looking for opportunities to offend people. That's not the point. The idea is, though, that, that whatever we do, that we do it in such a way to not cause confusion for unbelievers, confusion for believers, or confusion for people in the church, so that the relationship with Jesus can be the priority, so that Jesus can be the focus, so that salvation is in view. As we say uh, here at PCC, so that everyone can discover and experience the life-changing love of Christ, we want to be clear who we're talking about and what we're talking about. Simply put, The things that we are doing and the things that we are saying when it comes to Jesus should not cause confusion, but should represent Christ and proclaim God's love for our life, his salvation, and the desire that he has for a relationship with each and every one of us, and the way that he made that relationship possible through his son, Jesus. And as we live our lives and think about the opportunities that we have to proclaim that in our life, that is a huge calling and a huge responsibility. So, What does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to live our life in such a way, taking advantage of the opportunities that we have each day in order to proclaim Jesus and not make it confusing? How do we take advantage of the opportunities that we have in our life to take that next step in our life of faith? Whether we are a first-time person here and your first time you're hearing about Jesus, or whether you've heard about Jesus your entire life, what does it look like for us to grow in our faith and relationship with the Lord? What is God calling you to do? And more importantly, who is God calling you to be? As I try to put a bow on this for today, I just, I want to bring it all together by asking you to consider examining your life through this lens and asking yourself this question this morning. And the question is this, is there anything in your life that you do or anything in your life that you say that may cause confusion to others when it comes to the message of Jesus? In other words, do your words say one thing and your actions demonstrate another? Or do your actions say one thing and your words demonstrate another? Is there anything in your life that you do or anything that you say that may cause confusion for other people when it comes to the message of Jesus? What would your life be like if you looked at your life this week through that lens? Now, hear me very clearly on this. This is not about guilt because guilt is a terrible motivator, right? This is not about making you feel bad. This is about allowing ourselves to be open to the Holy Spirit and allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us and transform us into who God desires for us to be. And you may look at your life and you may go through this week every day asking that question and you may conclude, you know what, I'm fine. I have freedom, I have rights, I can do whatever I want and you may in fact be 100% correct. But the challenge is for each and every one of us to wrestle with this, are we willing, if necessary, to lay down our rights, to surrender our freedoms, if we are doing anything that's causing confusion or in some way preventing the message of Jesus Christ from being proclaimed and shared effectively? Are we willing to lay that down? And I would suggest that as we surrender those things to the Lord, as we surrender our lives to Christ, as we lay down our rights and surrender our freedoms, not to our detriment, but for the clarity of the message of the gospel, then in all things, whatever we do, whether we eat or drink, we do it all for the glory of God. 
That's what we've been invited to do, to live our life each and every day, every opportunity, representing him well, proclaiming his message to others, to live that life and to take that step in our faith and in our maturity, to grow in our relationship with the Lord. It's the opportunity that each and every one of us have each and every day of our life, including this day. And because it includes today, we offer you, we encourage you, we invite you to respond to what the Lord is doing in your life, to open yourself up to him and to his words. Uh, the band is gonna come and they're gonna lead us in uh, a song of response this morning. And it's simply an opportunity for us uh, to, to worship corporately through song and to individualize the message and to ask God what he's wanting us to do and who he's wanting us to be. As the band leads us, I just wanna invite you to surrender your life to him. And maybe for you that means it's time to be obedient in baptism. Maybe you already have identified something that you need to lay down as a right that you have for the sake of the gospel. Maybe you just want someone to pray with you to to begin walking your life of faith with others who who are striving to take that next step in their faith as well. As the band leads us, if you wanna talk to someone, if you have a decision to make, we're gonna invite you to make your way over by the cross where members of the prayer team and the leadership team will be there to receive you and to pray with you and to encourage you. Stand with me. Let's sing together. Let's worship. Let's respond as we consider how God is calling us to lay down our rights in order that he may be proclaimed. Let's sing.